everybody. Welcome back to Through the Eyes of a Therapist with Crystal Martinez Acosta. Today, I will be talking a little bit about burnout, vicarious trauma, and secondary trauma. This material really is targeted toward anybody who is in a helping profession. Helping professions include people like teachers, doctors, nurses, first responders, social workers, therapists, anybody who has direct interaction with other human beings in a helping capacity. I think it's really important for us to understand that our helping and our giving and our work can be draining sometimes. And I think it's really important to replenish that source with self-care, which um, we've talked about in a couple of other episodes previous to this one. So right now I'd like to take the time to read a list of symptoms that you should look out for. And what I'd like for you to think of as you're listening to this is answering to yourself in your head or even out loud if you're by yourself in the car or something. Um, Answering to yourself, yes or no, I do experience these things. And if you experience one, two or more of these symptoms, this could possibly mean that you are experiencing compassion fatigue or secondary trauma, or signs of burnout. So here we go with the list. The following symptoms were derived from an article from Health Nexus Sante at the Best Start Resource Center in Toronto, Ontario. This is quoted with permission from the Best Start Resource Center, and signs and symptoms to watch out for include numbing, Work-related nightmares, feelings of despair and hopelessness, loss of sense of spirituality, a more negative view of the world, reduced sense of respect for your clients or patients, loss of enjoyment of sexual activity, no time or energy for yourself, feeling that you can't discuss work with family or friends, which is particularly difficult for therapists or anybody who's bound by HIPAA requirements, right? Like we can't be breaking confidentiality. Um, Finding that you talk about work all the time and you can't escape from it. A sense of disconnection from your loved ones. An increased sense of danger or a reduced sense of safety. Really thinking to yourself, like, how safe is this world, really? Increased fear for safety of children or loved ones. A sense of cynicism or pessimism, you know, that optimistic and naive enthusiasm about helping people in the world is kind of diminishing. Increased illness or fatigue. Increased absenteeism from work. Greater problems with boundaries and mixing those messages and not making boundaries clear with other people. Difficulties making decisions. Reduced productivity. I would say at work and at home. Reduced motivation for your work, a loss of sense of control over your work and your life, lowered self-esteem, a lowered sense of competence in your work, difficulties trusting others, a lessened interest in spending time alone, or less time reflecting on your experiences. So like I mentioned before, if you feel like you have said yes to any of the previous signs and symptoms, you might be experiencing what we call burnout, 
or secondary trauma or compassion fatigue. There are a few terms that I want to delineate for you right now. And again, this material was quoted with permission from the Best Start Resource Center in Ontario, Canada. Burnout is usually the result of prolonged stress or frustration, resulting in the exhaustion of physical strength, emotional strength, and or motivation. It tends to be associated with the workplace and is often a predictable outcome when the work environment demands a great deal from workers. One of the characteristics of burnout is that it occurs over a fairly long period of time and is cumulative. It does not afflict a person after one bad day. So we're not talking here about like, man, I had a really hard time at work today. I just couldn't get it together. I couldn't focus. I felt tired. This is something that you experience over time and it gradually builds up. This one is really dangerous because it can sneak up on you. I would say that maybe you don't really notice it in the beginning and toward the end when you do start to notice burnout symptoms, it means that you've probably already been carrying some of these symptoms and they've gradually increased to the point where you now notice them or even others notice them. So you know, just a sense of really feeling tired and um, feeling like there's a lot of demands on you at work. And believe me, I understand if you're a mental health professional, hey, here in El Paso, we are an underserved community. We are in a kind of mental health desert. And um, there's a lot of stigma surrounding mental health. So there's a lot of needs in our community for mental health practitioners. And so I understand that um, you do have a choice uh, as far as maybe licensed professional counselors or licensed clinical social workers. But I know I think there aren't too many psychiatrists. And so this makes me think of them. This makes me think of how day in and day out, they have to really serve a community of 800,000 to 900,000 people. And there are very few of them. And so not that all 800,000 people need medication for anxiety or depression and stuff like that, but you know, you're serving this giant community and um, it's it, it can become burdensome sometimes. So the next uh, uh, term that I want to cover was taken from um, www.beststart.org. And again, this was quoted with permission from the Best Start Resource Center. Vicarious trauma, compassion fatigue, and empathy fatigue. So vicarious trauma, compassion fatigue, and empathy fatigue are used interchangeably to describe the impact of a specific type of experience and outcome. Vicarious trauma is a permanent change in the service provider resulting from an empathetic engagement with a client or patient's traumatic background. So this is something that alters the way somebody thinks and functions. So this, in essence, is a form of trauma and a form of, I guess, kind of like PTSD or post-traumatic stress symptoms or a disorder because it completely alters the way you function. So this is really interesting because um, 
you know, we watch certain shows that are about hospitals or we watch movies that are about violent, gory, bloody fights and there's blood and guts and puke everywhere. But this is talking about how a sense of burnout and vicarious trauma that develops over time because you're constantly listening or observing or witnessing other people's traumatic events. So something that uh, I want to bring attention to is, um, you know, the work of doctors and nurses, especially those that are in an ER, an emergency room. Imagine, you know, you're kind of on call that whole time that you're working. And if there's patient after patient that come in or uh, yeah, that come in with lots of different types of ailments or life-threatening things, or, you know, they do actually die in front of you, or they have really serious gory injuries. These things and witnessing these types of events happen to people can really, you know, damage a person and a provider of care. Um, I think these experiences really do change us because, we understand that life is complicated and, you know, we came into these professions, these helping professions, because we're like, hey, we want to make a change in the world. We really want to um, go out there and help. And we're all enthusiastic and stuff. And we're optimistic people. And I love what I love to help people. And I've always wanted to help people or kids or children. And I really love working with others. And that's a lot of enthusiasm. And as time goes on, you're witnessing a lot of really terrible things that are happening in the world, one by one by one, or in small groups or family per family after family, experiencing something really difficult. And it kind of does really change the way you look at things. Um, I think that it's it's kind of inevitable. You, I know, I know that some of this stuff comes with age and it comes with experience and understanding that the world may not be the place that you thought it was. Um, but I think that people in the helping professions arrive to this conclusion a lot more quickly and have to live with that for a really long time because this helping profession is your livelihood. So, um, this is something that, comes with the territory and you have to be able to handle it if you're going to be in a helping profession. So the third term quoted with permission from the Best Start Resource Center that we're going to talk about is secondary trauma, indirect trauma, or secondary traumatic stress disorder. Um, this occurs when a provider relates to someone who has undergone a traumatic event or a series of traumatic events to the extent that they begin to experience similar symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder that the trauma victim is experiencing. So here in secondary trauma, you start to maybe feel what some of your clients or patients are feeling. And so this is a little different from the previous two from burnout and vicarious trauma, because I think the first two are a little bit more gradual and they develop over time. And I'm sure the third, which is, you know, indirect trauma or secondary traumatic stress disorder can develop over time, but really it sounds like it could come from possibly an isolated incident. So I can give you an example. Um, let's say that 
here I am conducting therapy with an adult and they disclose some sort of community violence or uh, sexual violence that they have endured. And for some reason, this impacts me much more than any other story that I've heard because believe me, therapists have really heard it all. And just when you think you've heard it all, you hear something new. So anyway, um, you know, I think that hearing certain details can trigger you and it just depends on the person. There are just certain things that you're able to tolerate and certain things that really do shock you. Um, it's not like we're completely unshockable just because we've heard a lot or seen a lot as helping professionals. And secondary trauma can really manifests itself in that strange way where you do feel things that your clients or patients have felt in the past or are feeling. So in essence, in secondary trauma, the traumatizing event experienced by a client or patient becomes a traumatizing event for the service provider. So not only is it now just you're listening to somebody's trauma and trying to help them get through it, but now it becomes your trauma. And that's that's kind of an issue, um, especially if you do this day in and day out, you do this kind of work, um, then you can really start to experience burnout and other types of fatigue. The last few terms that I want to cover that are quoted with permission from the Best Start Resource Center are countertransference or traumatic countertransference. So countertransference is a term that is used in, I guess, uh, therapy, right? And it's, it's something that we're taught in graduate school as therapists or clinical social workers. And specifically, traumatic countertransference occurs when a service provider relates to the client or patient in a manner that replicates an existing relationship. Often it's child to parent. So while vicarious trauma can be associated with countertransference, it's not the same. In many life situations, we may find ourselves in a transference or countertransference situation. For example, a client or patient may respond to you as if you are their sister who died or their mother who was abusive, or you may find yourself strangely connected to a young mother who you feel great sympathy for but you're not sure why. Later, you reflect on how similar this client or patient is to your younger sister. We're all subject to this phenomena because it usually begins at work at the unconscious level. If left unattended, it can be harmful to the helping relationship since the helping relationship needs to be based upon the client and patient in the context of who they are and what they need. So if you are experiencing transference or countertransference, you can see how this kind, this kind of relatability or sense of familiarity can really cloud your judgment as a therapist. And so this can happen also to doctors or surgeons or nurses or teachers. And, you know, you, you've come across that student or you come across that patient and they remind you of somebody or they kind of talk a certain way and they kind of trigger a certain memory and you can relate to them because they remind you of somebody in their own life. So that's, you know, counter transference. And here what we're talking about is feeling as if, this person, like it's almost like taking something personally, but to a greater extent. And so 
um, here continuing um, in the article, what, what it says is um, organizations and agencies should provide training to staff to help them better understand and know how to respond to transference and countertransference. This is especially important since this phenomenon not only exists in helper-client relationships, but also occurs in supervisor-supervisee relationships and between coworkers. So this is really getting into the nitty-gritty of interpersonal relationships. And I think that as a therapist, one of the best skills I think that you can develop, and I personally believe that if you are self-aware, meaning you are able to analyze your own actions and your own thoughts and your own behaviors and your own emotions on a level that is very, very introspective, but understanding how those personal emotions and reactions can impact other people is what really could set a good therapist apart from an average therapist. So I think that taking the time as a therapist, a specifically therapist, to discover your own biases and your own issues with other people, your own triggers, is going to be really important. Because once you are aware that maybe a client is triggering you in a certain way, you become aware of that. You do some sort of mindfulness activity, allowing that thought to pass, and then you don't let it cloud your judgment. But if you're in a reactive mode because you're burned out or because you're just so tired, I can see how it would be really hard to analyze and cognitively cope with this type of issue. So... The other thing that I want to cover about this is susceptibility. So we talked about people in helping professions um, are, are especially susceptible to these four types of um, issues that have to do with patients or clients, uh, social workers, professional counselors, hospital staff, surgeons, doctors, first responders, teachers, nurses, any of you all who are in helping professions. Um, and so something else that I want to kind of just touch base on is that if we understand that most people or we are sensitive to the fact that 67% of people have experienced at least one traumatic event in their childhood or one hardship that really changed who they were in childhood, we would really probably look at the world differently and treat people differently. So the next time that you are, for example, at the store and you're at the grocery store and you see... um I don't know, somebody who's real tired and irritable and maybe they're sighing and rolling their eyes and things like that. And maybe they, you know, cut in front of you in line or something. You never know what that person's going through. It, it could be that they are having their own traumatic response in that moment and they got triggered by something. And if you were to react to them, you could exacerbate the issue. But if you were to, you know, give a look of sympathy or lend a helping hand that could really help somebody out and give them, you know, another chance to view the world differently because 
people who have experienced trauma, I think, are especially vulnerable. And um, I think it's really important to understand that. So I know that here in El Paso, um, there are special or, I guess, different ways to conceptualize clients because the majority of people in El Paso are of Mexican descent or Latino or Latina. And I think that um, that comes with its own um, special conditions and circumstances. So we're talking about lots of history of oppression and conquest and violence and rape and murder and war and stuff like that, that our ancestors have had to endure and go through and survive through. And some of this, you know, some of these things are transgenerational, meaning they've been passed down from generation to generation. And we are probably experiencing some of this oppression and trauma responses on a daily basis. And we might not even know it. Um, and I think that it's important to treat people as if they have been traumatized because you really don't know their story. You don't want to go off and be rude to people and you never know if one, you're going to trigger them or two, they've already been triggered and you're just making it worse. So I encourage you to become more self-aware, to examine your own trauma. If you haven't done that and you feel like you need help, um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to put up a link to um, probably a general Google page or resource page where you can find um, a psychotherapist or a licensed clinical social worker, a licensed professional counselor, psychiatrist or psychologist in the El Paso, Texas area. But um, if you really feel like, you know, you need to process something right now, there's always a suicide hotline link and you can even text 741-741 from your cell phone. And um, if you text the word home to that 741-741 number, then somebody will respond. And I believe it's a counselor uh, somebody who's trained in crisis intervention to help you just get to a place of stability. So I just don't want to like throw this information out there and then say, okay, thanks. Bye. You know, like go deal with that now. But really, if you feel like, okay, you don't even have to be in a helping profession and you can experience some of the symptoms that I had listed earlier in the podcast and you feel like it's getting a little out of control and all of a sudden maybe you're smoking more, maybe you're drinking more, or maybe you are experiencing things that you haven't experienced in a long time or you're getting nightmares or you can't sleep or you can't eat or things like that. Um, those are definitely, uh, areas of life and functioning that you should examine with a licensed professional counselor or a um, mental health worker, I think that it's really important to address these things before they get worse. Because again, as I read earlier, these things can turn into full-blown post-traumatic stress disorder. And we really want you to be healthy and understand that there are people out there that want to help you. Also, I'd like for you to maybe even pay attention to um, what others are telling you. So sometimes we're not aware of ourselves and we're not aware that we have changed in some way. But maybe other people 
are noticing changes that have happened over time that maybe are more gradual and they are bringing that to our attention because it's like, hey, that's usually not typical of you. And hey, I've noticed that you've been complaining a lot of uh, a lot about headaches and before you didn't used to do that. Um, I know that for me personally, I didn't start experiencing migraines until I was about 26 or 27 years old. So I would say for the last five or six years, um, at the point where I started getting more cases that had uh, more traumatic content in them, that's when I really started getting more chronic migraines. And so I had to do something about that. I had to take care of that. And so who knew that stress, right? Stress can cause a lot of different health problems. And for me, it manifested in the form of migraines. So if I have a particularly stressful day or particularly uh, stressful week, um, I might or might not, but most likely will probably get a migraine. And that usually is a signal for me, um, that I need to really take care of that issue or really learn how to manage my stress a little bit better. Um, they used to be a lot worse and a lot more frequent. And right now I am getting treatment for them and I'm engaging in self-care activities that help me reduce my stress at work and here at home. And um, I'm really learning how to pace myself in this prof- in this profession because I'm in it for the long haul, man. Like, I've always wanted to be a therapist and I'm not going to give up just because I'm going to burn myself out. You know, I know that this is a marathon and it's not a sprint. And so I have to really pace myself and be careful with, you know, the work that I'm doing. So if that means that I say no to certain projects or I say, hey, I really can't do this right now because it's very overwhelming. I need somebody's help. And being able to tell my boss that or my supervisor that is really, really important. So um, I encourage you to speak up for yourself. I encourage you to get the care that you need. I encourage you to reach out to me over email if you need some help finding some resources in your area. I can help you do a little searching there. Most of all, I just, I would like you to really become more self-aware and understand how your body and your brain and your heart responds to stress and burnout and your work. So that's the end of this episode. I just wanted to uh, give a little bit more background on what some of these things are called and what some of these things are labeled as, because sometimes we experience these symptoms and it's like, what the heck is this? Why am I acting this way? Or why am I feeling this way? Well, there's a name for that. And so it could be very well burnout, vicarious trauma, secondary trauma, indirect trauma, or even, um, other things like traumatic countertransference. So if you have any questions, feel free to reach out to me. I will be releasing another episode next week on Friday. And I hope that you have a really good night. Go take care of yourself. Do some self-care things. Take that extra few minutes in the shower. You know, go play with your kids. Play a game. Go outside. Go do some breathing exercises. Do things that will help calm you down and unwind from your day. One last quick reminder that my podcast can now be found on iTunes or Google Play. Thank you again for listening to Through the Eyes of a Therapist with licensed professional counselor Crystal Martinez Acosta. Have a good night.